Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to No Particular Hurry. Today's guest has been one of my favorite writers in the Sixers beat for years now. You may have read his work back when he was an associate editor at Liberty Ballers. He's contributed for USA Today, Philadelphia Daily News. Eventually, he worked his way up to one of the lead voices for the team at Philly Voice. And for the last three years, he has written for The Athletic. Whether he's taking reader suggestions for fake trades and helping us figure out what's realistic and what's not, whether he's profiling the rise of Shake Milton and what about Shake's background makes him especially poised under pressure on the court, whether he's profiling a new exec or breaking down the areas of Ben Simmons' game besides the jumper he can improve upon, this guest is one of the most versatile sports writers in the industry. He's also very funny as well. You can find his work at The Athletic Philadelphia or listen to him on his Sixers Beat podcast he co-hosts with Derek Bodner. Let's chat with the Athletics, Rich Hoffman. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. You know, nice uh, short off season we're having right now. I think uh, I think it won't be long before we actually have to watch them play again. But I'm doing okay right now, as good as anybody, I guess. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I think I saw was it Spike Eskin who tweeted like, "I need more time. I'm not ready." I'm sure he tweeted it. I, I know a lot of people in the NBA certainly feel that way. I, I do feel though that they need to get back to the, you know, October to June schedule because, well, I think they first saw that their TV ratings, which by the way, were bad for a ton of different reasons. Like I, I don't want to just pin it on the schedule, but I don't think you want to go up against the NFL. Um, and, and I think you just want to kind of own that month of July. So, which is good for me because I certainly like being off in the summer more than, uh, <laughs> yeah. than in the fall. So, yeah, I think uh, it's going to suck. I'll just put it that way for the uh, for the one year, but we all have to suck it up to get back to normal. So, and so you you've not taken a vacation. And you've been pretty prolific lately, right? You, uh, I mean, you've been writing about all the changes and getting into some trade stuff, new hires. So you've been hard at work at this time. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff going on, right? Like, you know, when you got a coaching change and, you know, a, a few front office moves that, you know, are a little bit unclear, but certainly, you know, definitely changes to the organization. And then, yeah, I mean, coming up, you know, we could see some pretty big changes to the roster. Maybe we don't. We'll see. What have you been doing with your time off? I'm just curious. I know everyone's home more than ever. Yeah. I mean, just a, a lot of time at home, uh, you know, obviously like it was, it was kind of weird when it first started, like, you know, can I go outside that type of thing? But, yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, uh, it's been strange. Uh, I'm certainly, you know, able to watch 
you know, a little bit more film on some of these draft guys, which is good. I'm still not perfect there, but certainly, uh, certainly a lot more time to, uh, to do things, um, just, just in general, like during the day, I don't have to, uh, commute anywhere. Do you, do you have any, uh, like TV shows or books that you really got into? Uh, TV shows during the, the pandemic, um, <laughs> Not, you know what's funny? I've been playing a lot more video games recently. Um, oh, nice! It's it's something that I used to do probably before I wrote more. I uh, I like to to just play video games while I listen to podcasts. For some reason, I find that like the the best combination of of mindless entertainment, kind of killing two birds with one stone. Um, well, for you, it's kind of homework too, catching up on what other people are saying. Assuming it's basketball you're listening to. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's basketball and. Sometimes it's, you know, I'll break it up and try and listen to something else. I mean, there, there are other things going on in the world, uh, at this point. So, uh, what yeah, else do you listen to besides hoops? I would say I listen to like, like New York times, like the daily type of thing, or I'll, I'll listen to, you know, Bill Simmons, the rewatchables or something like that. If I just want to, you know, completely turn my brain off and laugh. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever played online against any Sixers? No, no, I haven't. I mean, I know, uh, you know, Ben Simmons and. I forget what's his game, uh, PUBG, I think it's called, or things like that. I know Kyle Newbeck, my uh, my friend who who writes for the Sixers, he is he is a big video game guy. I am not as big on the online gaming type of thing. Like, I'll just play Madden or NHL or, or FIFA or something like that, so I can uh, I can kind of Madden. I can kind of mindlessly play. I play with the Eagles, which is uh, you know it's it's not as much fun, but it's unfortunately kind of the way I'm bred. So you got, you got to get those fifth string uh, receivers out there for you. Sure. Travis Fulgham though, man, he's, he's good. <laughs> he looks pretty good. So, all right. So I think I, I'm, I'm really excited to get you on. I think of you as like a Jack of all trades, writer, reporter, analyst, and that you can speculate on the cap. Um, you know, I, I, I think I read your stuff going back to Liberty ballers and Philly voice. Um, like will RG three, maybe he'll get the MLE. You can do a greater sort of player profile piece on shake Milton, which was so good that you did. Uh, I think following his breakout game, your X's and O stuff is as good as it gets. Um, I also really, really liked, and I'm going to miss Brett Brown because I felt like you had such a good way to incorporate his unique lexicon into your work. Is there anything about Brett that you're going to miss? Yeah, just just being around him on a on a day to day basis. I mean, he's just a very good person in general. Um, it's you know I've only covered the Sixers. Well, I shouldn't say only. I guess I've been doing it for a little while now. I guess like five years now at this point. He was the only coach who's been there. So this will be, you know, obviously, hopefully we can get back to normal and we have like normal media access when we come back. It seems like Doc is pretty good with that stuff too. You know, fingers crossed for my. Uh, my selfish uh, being able to, to cover the team, but yeah, he obviously had, you know, and I wasn't the only person that wrote pieces like this, but you know, a Brett had this really goofy accent, the, the Australian accent, which was, which was funny. But the Australian element of it faded over the years. If you go back and listen, it was intense. And then little by little, it was like more, you know, main, I guess. Yeah, for, for sure. It's, it always, uh, I could never really uh, place it, but it was certainly distinct. And then, yeah, he had all those unique phrases. I did those like Sixers dictionary pieces, which I thought <laughs> were uh, 
were a lot of fun where he's talking about like the Carl Malone line and you know, a bunch of these other things, but yeah, no, I'll just miss kind of being around him on a day-to-day basis. I certainly think, uh, you know, the way this season went, like it, it certainly was time to move on, you know, give somebody else a new shot. I don't think he was like mainly responsible for the team's problems, but it, it doesn't hurt you to, to try and, you know, see if like another voice can, can get through to these guys, but yeah, I'm going to miss him on a, on a day-to-day basis for sure. If I were you and I asked, and Brett was still here. He still had the job. And I said, what can we expect this offseason? Are you going to trade Al? And you were him, and you had to channel Brett. What do you think he would say? <laughs> you could do the accent if you want. I don't know if I could do the accent that well for you. It's funny. I could do it. Like It's one of those impressions I can do if I have like one moment of inspiration. But it's one <laughs> if you put me on the spot, I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah, I, uh, I think he would say what Doc said it was like you know doc got asked about that at his opening press conference he's like look we're, we're fine we could play them together or him and joel that type of thing like you know we, we don't need to trade out you know we'll always try and make our team better we'll see what's going on but uh you know it'd be a lot of bs like that but it's funny when brett at the end of the season he got asked it was like this was like right after they lost the fourth mm-hmm. game against the celtics he was pretty direct he was like yeah, I just really struggled to coach the space on this team. And, you know, I think to be fair to him, it's hard to coach the space on this team. You know how you coach space better is you get guys who shoot the ball better and dribble the ball. Have space. Yeah, exactly. But I thought that was very telling to be like, you know, up until the very end, he's like, we're going to make this work. We'll play them together at at some point during the game. But, uh, you know, I, I think he knew at that point the writing was on the wall. He, he did feel, he did seem, I think he talked about it too, going down with the ship. And he would say like, you know, I'll try the accent. Al Horford, he's a winner and I'll stick by his resume. You know, like he, he wanted him out there regardless of the fit, just because he was probably their third best player. Uh, and when Ben was out, he was certainly up there higher. Um, yeah. And he didn't always play like in the playoffs, but I, I mean, like, look, heading into this whole bubble thing, I, I, I agreed with that. Like a, as bad as the fit was between him and Embiid, like you don't have a deep enough bench with like a bunch of stud wing players to, uh, to take Al Horford off the court. He is better than the rest of those guys, but you did get, uh, you did get the Al Horford quotes a lot, <laughs> which, uh, which you just kind of, uh, you're like, oh my gosh, are we still doing this at this point? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I was trying to do some homework. I don't know if you wrote it or I heard you say it on a podcast, but it was a while ago. And and I think you you kind of called it. You kind of nailed it. You said basically they have to ask themselves questions like, do they want to maximize their insurance with Joel Embiid's injury history, or do they want to put it into put their resources into a closing unit, the best five players to close the game. And I wish that they had listened to you because I don't think they did. I think they erred too far on that insurance for Embiid element of it. And the closing five is so huge in the playoffs. Yeah. And I mean, they had, you know, I I do think the 2018, 19, the one that played against Toronto that, you know, the, the most talented five, in the, in the league or whatever it was, they were behind golden state at that point, but you know, whatever, like a very talented group. The, the one thing 
that was tough with that group is probably you had too many guys who like wanted the ball, but if like the level of sacrifice and buy-in was there and like, look, they weren't fighting each other during that Toronto series. Like they, they came very close to winning who knows what happens in the next two rounds, but they would have had a shot. Those five guys fit together. And that's because JJ, you know, ran around the three point line and did his thing. And Jimmy could, you know, take the, take the ball at the end of the game and, and create shots. And yeah, when they got Horford, they they certainly found an insurance policy for Embiid, but they they paid too much for him. You know, like backup center is a position that you can pay, I don't know, five million dollars for or whatever. Like mid level Celtics exp- pay what ten million combined to Thies and Cantor and yeah, what, and what Robert is Robert Williams and what did Tice? You know, Tice. You know, making I don't know. Like three, I don't know what his salary is, but yeah, like you said, it's not a lot. And he's giving you what eighty percent of what Horford gave them last year, maybe, maybe yeah. more. Like honestly, I mean, obviously, you know, the the guards and the wings are what uh, what makes them so good. But as a complimentary player, he did an awesome job with all those moving screens and defense and things. Like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they went too far with the we are going to uh, like have this backup center insurance policy type of thing. When, um, when in reality they didn't look at what a bad fit the uh, the closing five was like, and yep, that was the story of their uh, their season. They paid the price for. I mean, they paid the price for multiple seasons of of bad decisions, but they certainly had a chance to get it right in uh, in twenty nineteen off season, and they didn't do it. Two of the things that that stick for me are Joel Embiid's load management that year. You, you know you. You listen to you on a podcast, and you were like, "I don't know, man. Joel's back. It's just this dark cloud hanging over." And I'm not a doctor, so I don't know that that was related to the knee tendonitis. But it just was screaming to to give the man a rest. You got the All Star break coming, and they pushed instead, and they upped his minutes. And of course, you got like the moment that was probably overrated. Howard Eskin talking about he's diving into the stands against the Knicks, but it, it probably didn't help. I and forgot. <laughs> remember that <laughs> he almost took uh, Regina King's head off. Yeah, I remember that. that was but he, you know, he had an ankle one day. He had a back, visibly bad back pain. Uh, and there's some tweet out there that's like, "Here's how Joel lands," and he tries to avoid putting pressure on his trunk or his knees. Or it just feels with him like it's all somehow related. And they didn't handle it right. And I, I always wonder why they didn't listen to your podcast and just give him some games off before the All Star break. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it feels like so long ago now, the beginning of the 2018-19 season, you know, you have like Covington and Sarich still on the team, but it, it just, Wilson and Markel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, yeah, the the workload that he had at the beginning of that season was insane. And by the way, he is very much at fault too. Like he was very stubborn. You think so? Well, he was, he wasn't making it easy for them. Like he was no. like, I want to play. I don't want to be, you know, the injured guy, which like, fine, I get that, but they needed to do, I mean, somewhat of a better job of putting their foot down. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have to put him on the, you know, the past years, the no back to backs or whatever. But I just remember there was like a game in Toronto, I think in November of that year where he, he had played the first 26 or 25 games of the season had been playing like, you know, like the second most minutes in the entire league. And he completely ran out of gas and they got their ass kicked by Toronto, a a good team. Like they had Kawhi and, 
you know, they were rolling at that point, but they talked about him being fatigued at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, do you remember, I wasn't on this trip, but after that, Brett sits him down the next game and he says something to Keith Pompey when he's there. Tired of being babied. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah. it, like, dude, you, you just need a break. It's, it's okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. So you're probably right. Probably a, a lot on him. He wanted to prove that his rep is different. I can, the other thing that bothered me about the Toronto series, as you could tell, I'm still ruminating is your, your old piece. One of my favorite pieces of all time on Ben Simmons following his rookie year called why Ben Simmons next step is about more than his jump shot. You talked about how he can be used effectively slipping screens. And that was so early in his career. Uh, and we all call it the dunker spot. Now I think you call it the Birdman zone in those days. Um, and that, was a, can, that was a breath thing. Yeah. The Birdman, the Chris Anderson zone. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, where the Miami heat would stick Birdman and he could be used more than that. But you know, to Brett's credit, he did a great job putting the ball in Jimmy's hands that series. But then they just went to the Birdman zone instead of having him do some creative off-ball stuff that we thought we were going to get heading into the bubble this year, and it didn't happen. And maybe, you know, maybe Ben would have been a little happier, and there wouldn't have been all that tension between him and potentially keeping Butler, and maybe they would have won that series. I don't know. I feel like they went over the top on Birdman zone. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly... You know, I forget exactly what his like usage rate was in that series. It was pretty low, very uh, low. Yeah, and especially when you got into the fourth quarters. Uh, again, like it, look in the playoffs, even star players can look bad, right? Like that's that's what playoff basketball is. It's it's teams preying on your weaknesses and making adjustments and things like that. But yeah, that was. I mean, I will remember that as kind of him being in the dunker spot the whole series. I, I think he had one pretty good game. It was game six. You know, he got out in transition a little bit. He got a few easier baskets, and you know they were playing at home, so the whole he team did have great uh, transition chemistry with Butler. Yeah, yeah, and two I mean, of them on the wing where it was was brutal for our teams. Yeah, and I remember. Uh, I think you know in that game six, Jimmy hit him on a couple alley oops when he was rolling. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, he is still one of the trickiest guys in the league. Like we had a piece this week at the Athletic where. Seth Partnow, who used to mm-hmm. run the the Bucks analytics department, who's kind of like one of our our main national guys, he uh, he placed players into tiers, and you know basically, I think Embiid finished in the kind of ten to twelve tier. Ben was in the seventeen to fourteen tier, but you know within his explanation on Simmons, he talked about how for as much as he shoots around the rim, which is great, like he gets all of these shots around the rim he doesn't draw quite enough contact and that's mm-hmm. something you know we've seen for a few years and so like i, I still think that there are you know that like that's still a point like that he can get better without the jump shot like there are areas on the offensive end where he can improve without taking a shot but you know i, I don't want to beat a dead horse i'm sure uh, i'm sure you've talked about this a lot you know i've talked about this a lot he he does need to figure that out at some point too you, you talked about a couple of his issues early on being phone booth defense, and we can all picture him standing very upright. He'll still do it from time to time, yep. um, but not when he's locked in. And then when we saw him defend Kawhi in the playoffs, it transitioned to this season where obviously he made the first-team all-defense and third-team all-NBA, which got him a nice juicy raise. 
um, what do you, what did you notice in over the last couple of years that allowed him to blossom so much defensively? Just a buy-in, you know, and, and he really kind of bought in from the second he got here. Now, obviously he wasn't at quite this level that, that he was this past season, but I think the biggest jump that he made was that he wasn't that locked in at LSU. And that changed when he got here. And yeah, he, uh, he definitely plays in a phone booth, stands up straight. Sometimes you still see that from time to times, like his, uh, sometimes I, I still can, can watch him and get a little frustrated by, um, bad habits, but like for the most part, he's just kind of a, a little bit more of an upright defender, but he still is able to cover so much ground. And, uh, he just really, he plays really, really hard on that end of the court. And he's, he's certainly unorthodox on that end of the end of the floor, but you know, I mean, he made first team all NBA and he absolutely deserved it this season. And I think, uh, you know, if Brett looks back at you know, he, he couldn't get through to him in terms of the jump shot. One thing he did th- should get credit for, though, is he did get him to defend. And, you know, I think uh, where Ben is now, he's he's one of the more, you know, versatile defenders in the league. I, I think he's one of the more, like, he won't make this list, but I do think he was one of the more uh, underrated members of the all-improved team because of that defense. Although, what people want to see is what Jamal Murray did in the playoffs, not just locked in defense. So to, to be fair, I, I think like the Jamal Murray stuff, like the, it might matter a little bit more than the defense. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think become, I agree. I becoming agree. the, you know, the fulcrum uh, of, you know, an offense that, you know, is scoring well in the playoffs. And I'm not saying Ben has to do it like Jamal Murray. Obviously he's not going to shoot like that. Uh, but yeah, no, like I think, I, I guess my problem with Ben is that, some of the things that he has improved on the defense, I look at it and think like, all right, but like how much better are you going to get at this? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a a player's perimeter defense, it's, it's impactful, but you know, is it like driving a a championship team if you don't make the necessary improvements on the offensive end? And to me, like, you know, some people think I'm being too hard on him, but to me, the answer to that is no, in general, like not from a championship standpoint, I don't think you're being too hard. If we look at it, like you play Madden, if we look at it, like, you give you give a guy a ninety nine rating on defense and a zero on offense, you're still looking at a guy like Andre Robertson. Whereas if you have a zero on defense and a ninety nine on offense, you might have a Steph Curry or a, I don't know a MVP candidate Isaiah Thomas a couple of years ago, and and that was that is more impactful than the Robertson, I think. And and Ben is obviously somewhere in the middle between the extremes. Yeah, he's he's different, right? Like he's when when you talk about Robertson. I think these past playoffs and just the way the league is moving in general, you'd rather play the all offense guy in the playoffs mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the all defense guy. Now, obviously Ben is not like a role player in that he can, you know, he's a great passer. He does, you know, all but of he's those a plus offensive players still. Yeah. He does all of those things on the offensive end, but that's, it's kind of like a cousin of that where, um, yeah, I think the offensive improvements would, would take him a little bit further and, you know, he's still got time. He's 24 years old. You know, I'm not, not giving up on him just yet. So in terms of that, you, you wrote that even so, it doesn't exactly take Herb McGee to identify the main mechanical flaw in Simmons' shot. Neither his shooting elbow nor his hand is under the basketball, which makes consistency difficult to achieve. Great shooters can generally take missing right and left out of the equation. Simmons' hand placement adds an additional variable. I know he's worked with Townsend. I know he's worked with his brother Liam. 
He worked with Chris Johnson, who trained Jimmy Butler, who doesn't shoot many threes himself. Why won't he pick an off-season or a mid-season COVID break and just completely overhaul his form? Is there some block there? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, now, so I do think, especially with Chris Johnson, he has made some improvement to it. You know, I, you mentioned in that piece, you know, and this is two years ago at this point, but you mentioned how his uh, left arm flares out um, and how like his left hand was on the side of the basketball. And I'm sure anybody who follows Kevin O'Connor knows that, that he's been banging the, the right hand. Uh, hey, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I'd like to at least see it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, when, when you look at how he finishes around the basket, uh, mm-hmm. it, that's certainly an interesting thing. Um, his I, don't, touch, yeah. I don't think it's that realistic at this point. The, the, so sure. here's, here's what I will say for him you know i watch him shoot before every game it's just you know myself and Derek bodner and kyle newbeck we'll just you know sit and talk uh with anybody who comes by you know especially for the home games like anybody who comes by and just watch the sixers warm up i think he has made if not considerable improvement he has tightened that shot up now yes does his Left elbow still flare out a little bit. Yes. Is there like a little bit of side spin on the basketball? Yes. But he makes a lot more of them in warm-ups than, than I have seen in the past. But the, the problem with him, and you kind of mentioned the, the mental block, which, you know, I, I'm not like completely inside his head, and he certainly won't let you inside his head uh, with, his, with his answers sometimes. There, there's certainly something there that is preventing him from doing it in the game. But, you know, with the work he has done with Chris Johnson over the past few years, I'm not saying I'm, like, completely optimistic that he'll become a great shooter, but I'm more optimistic than I was a few years ago. I I would say that, like, the work he has put in over the past few years, just from what I have seen, like, mechanically with the shot, he he has made some improvements. Um, So... There's, uh, so there's Doc Rivers coming in. You know, Doc has worked with a guy like DeAndre Jordan, who completely changed his, his ability to hit free throws. Uh, I guess that happened more with the Mavericks. They hired a sports psychologist. Yeah. Um, but, but he did have, he did have Blake Griffin, who was working with Bob Fate, who went all in to change his shot. And he, you know, he put like four off seasons into it before he could comfortably do it in games. But there was that there was that dramatic shift. Do you think, uh, I think there was that Jackie Mack piece where it was basically the gist was Ben wants to be pushed more than he has been. Do you think Doc's going to come in and push him to shoot? Or do you think maybe he was already going to shoot anyway and Doc will just get the credit for it? I think if you talk to like some people around the Sixers, they, they wouldn't love the idea of like he wants to be pushed. He, he was told by a lot of people in that organization. Hey man, like, can you, can you please do this? Like it, like, look, it, it might not work, but certainly like our highest ceiling would be if you try this and it actually does work and it could certainly help your teammates. I mean, like, and I'm not even um, like disclosing anything here. You had Embiid, you had Elton, you had Brett after the one game. Embiid all still them, does it. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Embiid will do like the passive aggressive thing from time. Yeah. To time. And it'll be like, you know, some of us have to, leave our comfort zone, which, you know, I, I think Embiid is, you know, certainly not a, um, he's not completely blameless in the uh, Sixer struggles, but on this point, he's right. He's absolutely right. You know, he's, and he's somebody who understands like, you know, he gets killed for shooting threes when part of the reason he does it is to open up space for Simmons. 
Um, yeah. So, so I think the hope is that Doc will get through to him, right? Like, you know, Doc has championship equity. You know, he's coached some great players. Obviously, he has the flameouts the last few years, but he certainly should have a level of gravitas around the league, um, or just from being around the league. Now, now, will it work? You know, I think he is certainly willing to uh, to challenge his players. He is, you know, I talked to like Jamal Crawford, Scalabrini about this a few weeks ago, and they. They said the same. Could could that go poorly? I don't know. But like, I think like people when they got on Brett about this, like, is he going to take Ben out of the game because he's not shooting when he's your most consistent player when it comes to you know effort level and defense, like you said, and he's your best ball handler by a mile and passer. No, because well, you you know these guys as well as you know as well as you could possibly without being their friends. What do you think would have happened if Brett did do that? I think it would have been a huge story and it, <laughs> and, and it could have been, uh, you know, maybe it might've worked. I, I, I don't know, but, but I, I also the think it comes out. <laughs> yeah. I also think the downside would have been like, you know, very low, <laughs> you know, I think like yeah. it, could, it could have been like, Brett's got to get out of here now, you know? For, right. For right. Time. He might've sensed that. He might've sensed that. Um, so it's hard to say. I don't know. So all right, let me let me play a, a hardcore devil's advocate here, and, and some of this is my own personal feelings, but I, I'm going to exaggerate them a little bit to to get you to uh, talk about this a little. So you're you're honing in on Ty Lu. He's got that championship equity you mentioned. He comes with the you know that I have helped the chemistry of two volatile superstars. You got Mike D'Antoni, who might bring a team with one of the worst shooting profiles in the league. They don't get to the rim. They don't get to the line. They don't shoot it. They shoot a ton of mid range shots. Maybe he could change that. And then suddenly doc rivers is available and you swoop in and he shoots to the top. He's never got out of the second round uh, with the Clippers. His we it's come out that there were chemistry issues in Boston. I think Rondo and Ray Allen hated each other. Right. Uh, we, we have heard J.J. Redick talk ad nauseum about the chemistry issues with CP3 and Blake Griffin. And now we're getting bombarded with the chemistry problems with the Clippers who are coming off maybe, and this is going to sound like hyperbole, but maybe the worst playoff choke in history. You have finals favorites up 3-1, to one, and in two, game, two closeout games, they've got a 19-point lead and a 15-point lead. And they lose the series, and all we're hearing now is that they had chemistry problems. And if your number one goal this offseason is chemistry between superstars and getting out of the second round, and maybe even acquiring Chris Paul, who doesn't like Doc Rivers, why does Doc Rivers shoot to the top of your list? What am I missing? I mean, you're playing devil's advocate. I mean, all those things are true, uh, you know, and I, I think that's why I've kind of been on the side of like, yeah, I don't mind it as, as a higher but like in general i don't think coaches are like the uh the magic bean or anything you know? <laughs> I, like 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 i think i think if you looked at and also like so like ty Lu to me had the most unassailable profile i guess but he also coached lebron james for three years <laughs> lost uh, got a bad team lost his first six games and got the heck out of there so you know like 
what'll happen when he has to actually coach Kawhi and Paul George. No, I mean, like, look, everything you said is true. And that's why I think like this idea of, oh man, Doc Rivers, here comes this massive upgrade over Brett Brown. It's like, maybe, but you know, he's, he's certainly, (laughs) he's certainly had some problems. And like, let's be real. The roster he had in LA last year, way better than the one that the Sixers have right now. Just, I thought it was the best roster in the NBA, a cleaner, championship playoff level roster with could play any style they wanted had the two wings who can get their own shot. That's the type of player you want. And they didn't get it done now. So in fairness to him, like when you look at that, this was a weird year. Like they, you know, they had weird chemistry in the bubble with guys missing and Lou Williams going to the strip club and, (laughs) Montrez was, uh, you know, he had the thing with his family. So, so they, you know, and I think they, am I wrong in saying that they voted to not play after the, uh, the, the, the strike after the, the Wisconsin, the shooting of Jacob Blake. Yeah, there was a report that they were down to not, to not do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Rich, so we just talked a lot, and you listen to this. There was like, you know, the, the, the feeling, the sound of dejection in probably both of our voices. And then, like, I don't know, an hour later, <laughs> the, Sixers, the Sixers may have signed Dal Morey, who would have been anyone's A-lister for a, for a five-year deal? What? I didn't even think they wanted something like this to happen. Give me your initial impression. It, it was very surprising, but on the other hand, like, was it completely stunning? I, I'm a little surprised it happened right now. I, I guess I'll put it that way. But we we do know from the past that they are pretty big Daryl Morey fans. Like they went after him pretty hard in 2018, and I think Elton Brand is on the record saying i don't know if this is on an espn pod somewhere but i think he said like he told the sixers if they were able to hire one of these big time general managers which they were unable to go ahead and do it so like you do think that they i do think that they value daryl Morey really highly i also think like he can probably speak the language of the uh of the front office guys, the kind of private. He knows what an investment committee is. Sure. Yeah. That type of stuff, which, uh, you know, maybe it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it certainly helps. Um, but yeah, I'm, I was surprised. Like, like the idea of hiring a coach, letting Elton hire these two executives and like, look, maybe Daryl Morey was the, the puppet master behind the scenes. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think he was a godfather? I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> That'd be funny with like the music playing and all that stuff. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it, if he was not behind the scenes doing all that stuff, it's very unorthodox. <laughs> I'll put it that way to, uh, to hire the most important person in the organization last and the less important people first. But 
at the end of the day, I, you can't really argue with it, man. It's it's a great hire. Daryl Morey gives them a sense of purpose and direction that they did not have a couple months ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, like they did a good job keeping it under wraps. And uh, even if we did have a little bit of an inkling, I was uh, I was pretty stunned by it, to be honest with you. Did you have like did you put your head on your pillow last night with an inkling? No, no, I did not know that this was uh, this was coming, and it's clear that uh, I, don't, I don't really think this got reported anywhere. Like, I think I remember when Daryl Morey originally parted ways with Houston. Uh, it was certainly a thought in my head, like, yeah, that, it would make sense for them to uh, to go after him. But you know, th- there were a couple of different factors. Like, I think there was maybe a question of like because of the whole controversy with Hong Kong. Or with China and and him showing support for the pro democracy protests in uh, in Hong Kong, you know, would a team want to hire him and potentially affect their business in a negative way? That was one question. With it, number two, like it was reported that he wanted to spend time with his kids in college, but it, it still seemed to me like if as long as the business side was okay he is kind of the splashy hire that Josh Harris has valued in the past. And and Elton kind of, he kind of left the door open after the season, you know, when, when they had fired Brett, like there's a potential chance we could hire a president of basketball operations. Now they denied it, but that's, that's kind of what they do. Uh, But I did not see it coming. I I just thought like maybe in the future, it would be something that would happen. There was obviously the Tillman Fertitta uh, comment that, uh, that Daryl would be working on the East Coast, but yeah, no, I did not see this coming today. Yeah, so I was just trying to read your article at the Athletic and and simultaneously listen to Woj before you called to talk, and so I'm scrambling a little bit here, but we want to update. So Woj basically said he thought maybe Rivers was behind this hiring. Do you think he pushed for this or did you think maybe it was vice versa? Maybe the people who were here in place pushed for this. It's hard to, hard to tell as always with these guys, Uh, you know, Rivers (laughs) and Maury do have like a history from Boston forever ago. God, that's so long ago Um, when they worked together, but I I, I don't know. I mean, I think doc Rivers certainly has a, a big voice in that organization already, like when we thought Elton brand was going to be the general manager and and maybe suspected it, I I thought he would have a big voice. So it wouldn't stun me to, uh, to hear that, to have like an experienced general manager. But I, I I gotta say, I cannot emphasize this enough. The, the order of events in hiring doc rivers first, (laughs) hiring uh, Peter Dinwiddie and prosper Karangwa, and then getting the dropping the five-year contract on Daryl Morey is uh, it's, it's really not the way you would expect a team to go about it. But, you know, I, I guess with this team, I uh, I've given up kind of the, the normal order of events on, uh, on rebuild. So did, did Zaire Smith have a typical trajectory in this NBA? I, I, I feel like, I feel like it's very confusing and I feel like that confusion is sort of like synonymous with this organization and we just have to expect it. Yeah. Um, I actually do. I do 
err on the side of spontaneity. I do feel like they prepared as if they were not going to necessarily get him, and they liked all these guys prior. Maybe there was some communication, but if I, I'm Daryl Morey, I have to hear that I have a certain amount of say. Oh, a- absolutely. I-, I agree with that. And I would just say, like, like, I have not talked to Elton Brand about this, but just kind of thinking this through. Is he, like, pumped that Daryl Morey is here now? Oh, devastated. Devastated. Probably not, right? Yeah. I, I would I'd be devastated. It's It's a demotion and... Look, could it be a good thing for his career if he sticks on as the number two and works under Daryl Morey? Would it be, you know, considering what he's been an executive for what all three years <laughs> at this it's not point? Possible, it's good. It's probably like where he should be in his career at this point, kind of working his way up. It would just be, you would hope it was on a more normal trajectory, and he wasn't. In the top seat, but he, you know, I, I was talking about this with uh, with Bodner, and he was saying like, I, you just wonder like if, you know, is if the Sixers are good for the next three or four years, if if Maury gets them back the championship contention, okay, then maybe if Elton wants to keep doing this, he'll get another job. He'll obviously still be really young at that point too. It's not like he has to worry about time running out for him or anything like that. But you do wonder if the mistakes of those past three years will kind of be hung around his head, um, and, and that might not be fair, considering you know we've already talked about ad nauseum what a weird organization and how he did not have full control for a lot of those a lot of those decisions. But you just you just wonder if the stink of that, even <laughs> even if they turn it around, will that just be all credited to Daryl Morey? And, I mean, that's, he, and that's what I want. He could have been. He could have been. Honestly, I forget if it was Derek or maybe it was Ben Dietrich. I joked like, could he potentially be an actual rising star, but have had no say? And that's possible. Here, yeah. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from Woj, and this is not tr- perfect transcription because I was literally scribbling as you were calling me. But th- this ownership group in Philadelphia—they've been big game hunting for a high-profile establishment president for years. And Elton came in, did the job, and did a lot of good things. He was in position. And there are a lot of multiple owners who have input in the front office and had a lot of input around Elton. And Elton tried to navigate all that as best he could and made the best of the job he had. The initial thought is that Elton may stay. He's welcome to stay. Does it make sense for him? And I was kind of floored. I was like, does this mean that maybe Elton would prefer to leave? What do you think? Could Elton be gone? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but it, it certainly is a demotion, right? And, you know, after maybe him thinking that he would have the job and, and running their off season, he ran their off season for two months. And then at the very end, he had to, uh, he had to hand the keys over to, uh, to Daryl Morey. I, I, I would just wonder, like, obviously he's a very well respected person around the league, but, you know, he's, he's also, oh, yeah. he's also lived in Philadelphia for a long time now. Like, He's, you know, he has a home in the area. That's part of the reason they were able to, uh, to sign him when, uh, when he was essentially babysitting Julia Okafor a few years ago as a player, and he was, and he was helping, he was helping them out because he he was in the area. He was able to talk to Sam Hinkie back then and and have lunch with him and Jerry Colangelo and Brian, or I guess Brian wasn't there yet, but Jerry talked him into to doing it, and that's you know how he first hooked up with the organization and then. 
you know, he's, he's been an executive here for the next couple of years. Uh, I'll be really curious, you know, that Daryl Morey is a, a big personality. And like you said, he, uh, as much money as I'm sure that they paid him, you know, a nice five-year contract, which to, uh, to the Sixers credit, they, they've handed out a couple of long contracts this summer and in the middle of a pandemic, that is certainly an advantage over the, uh, the rest of the market. Better than owning the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I would say though, that you, you hit it exactly right. Like this, even, even with the amount of money, he's not doing this collaboration thing. Like he's running the show. You think so? You, so you think him taking it necessarily means he's got final say. And like, it was like, yo, I got this. Like, come on, no investment committee. I would, I would hope so. Like, I mean, I, I just, you would think he would have done enough research and talked to the, uh, sorry, as I've got sirens going on in the background right now. So I just think like he's done enough research to be like, Hey, you know, there was a lot of shenanigans that went on here in the past couple of years. And, you know, Hey, perhaps that was, it was reported by Shams that they first made contact with him on October 18th. Maybe that's what took this amount of time. Like where, where Daryl Morey mm-hmm. said, Hey, uh, I, uh, I got to be able to run this my way. And you know, like, for just said a couple of weeks ago, like he could be an East coast, you know, GM in a couple of weeks. Did he say a couple of weeks? Uh, all right, let me see. He, he definitely Murray ultimately stay with Houston inside. Kind of wrote for, said he thought Maury might join a team on the East Coast a few weeks ago after the sides parted ways. So yeah, he didn't. I don't he know. Didn't, he, he didn't, didn't say it would be in a few weeks, but no. to be fair, like that was a very specific comment, and you kind of look at it like, all right, East Coast. Um, so Boston, yep. no. Uh, no, Knicks. No, he wouldn't want to do that. Just hired Leon. Yeah, he wouldn't want to do that anyway. They should have waited. They should have waited for all possibilities before leaping on Leon. Leon would have still been there. Sure, and and Brooklyn, like Sean Marks, is pretty um, established there. So yeah, it, it made sense that Philadelphia would be the team. And uh, how perfect that uh, the last time they they really went out of the organization. I mean, they kind of went out of the organization with Brian Colangelo, but like, let's be real. Like his dad was there and they didn't really search that hard. The last time they really went outside of the organization, made an honest hire outside was, uh, was May 2013. And that was Sam Hinkie, who was Daryl Morey's uh, second in command at the time. And that one, I mean, that was the best general manager they've hired over the past uh, past decade. So yeah, he, he was great. There were times we heard the Sixers seriously pursue Daryl and were closer than was reported. Do you now, with hindsight, buy that stuff that maybe they were closer in 2018 than it sounded like? Because like I know Ben Dietrich called it a transparently fraudulent GM search, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, Maury was a pie in the sky," but like there was no chance. It's, I guess the problem with the idea of that GM search is that the elite GMs, they're just not available that often. Like you look at Masai Ujiri, like Toronto was able to pluck him, but that guy's never gotten fired as a, as a general manager. Well, how long has Danny Ainge been doing this? You know, Sam Presti, um, Pat Riley, like those people, like a, a GM who's in, you know, the top five to seven spots they've rarely become available. And because of this just weird storm of all of these different things, Maury became uh, available. And I will say like Josh Harris, I have not complimented him over his career about his like decisiveness. And maybe that that might just be like reading into 
his personality when he talks, sometimes he's not the, uh, you know, doesn't like communicate like the, the clearest message and things like that. Um, obviously very successful in business and all that stuff. Uh, he pounced on Daryl Morey, like, and to his credit, like he finally found something that was clear to him and there was, uh, there was no hesitation on it. So I'm, uh, I did not start today thinking I was going to be like overly complimentary of Sixers ownership and Josh Harris, but like, and here you are, <laughs> here we all are. Got to Got to give him credit. Daryl Morey is a good general manager. Do we, we earlier speaking today, we, we sort of criticize him. Do we owe them an apology? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I, they, they certainly don't deserve, you know, high credit for, uh, for what they've done the past few years, like whether or not they were searching for Daryl Morey in, uh, in 2018. And they were like, yeah, they, they had serious interest back then. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what happened from Morey's side, like how close they were, like how, how close really are you? Maybe you thought about it for a night and said, no. Um, he, I know he's talked on podcasts since and talked about the best ownerships in the league and said like the best 11 were in the West. And he said, like, oh, of course, there's exceptions. There's the Celtics. But he did not say the Sixers. And I found that quite revealing. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I don't profess to be inside his head. But, you know, maybe he was a little closer than, uh, than, than he thought. I mean, I, I, maybe he just looked at it like he thought Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were a, a pretty good challenge. Like these weird fitting pieces and, and building around <laughs> them. You know, maybe the, the Harden thing had gotten a little stale. You know, I know he loves James Harden, but maybe he's like, you know, on a, a Thursday night in February watching 30 step backs was like, eh, maybe I could do something a little different. I don't know. But is this, uh, is this a tacit mea culpa from Harrison Blitz by hiring Sam Hinkie's former boss? Uh, I mean, <laughs> again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily inside their heads on this one either, but uh, certainly. I just think that the problem with Hinky is that he had only been with the Sixers at that point. And he had only had, you know, like I, I thought he was one of the best, I don't know, 10 GMs in the league. Like he might've been better than that, but just, just with all the trades he made and all the things he did, like I thought he had vaulted his way up. I, I do think those guys like splashy hires. Like I, I do think they're, this was kind of what I talked about with doc rivers. Like, yeah, Doc Rivers is a really good coach, but he's also somebody that people know. You know, it's like this is a good hire. He's a proven winner, whatever that means. And I think Maury, I mean, he could be the exact same person as Hinky. And I'm not saying he is. Obviously, they uh, both big analytics uh, believers and smart guys, and you know, good friends and all of those things. Both they both love like science and artificial intelligence and sure. comparing that to basketball. Sure. But but the difference is that Maury has the track record of mm-hmm. of winning, and he also does didn't have the uh, the stink of tanking. Although Daryl Maury will tell you that he would have loved to have tanked way back when, and what, what Hinky was doing was smart. Yeah, so. contextually based, sure. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of what what will happen with this team. You know, there will be like a lot of analysis. You know, how do how does the point guard who doesn't shoot threes and the uh, and the post up center how do they fit in a uh, in the scheme of a, a guy who just coached a team where Robert Covington was playing center, you know? And uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess my thing would be just like, you know, may, maybe he will change things up. I, I certainly think they won't be uh, 
they won't be fifth in uh like the highest percentage of mid-range jumpers this year like i think that's something that's almost definitely going to decrease but i would say with like oh, the yeah. big with the big picture moves i would just say like don't uh the smartest way to go about it is don't necessarily think you know what's going on you know like i, I think he he is a creative enough guy where he could take this a few different ways uh, uncertainty is is vital for all of us fans at this point you think yeah yeah for sure um and i think it would be funny if like he did build around like a post up and uh you know he uh he didn't tell Simmons to shoot after all. Maybe, maybe what this was good. Uh, that would be pretty funny. I don't think he's going to, by the way. But do you think he's going to ask Simmons to shoot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, do you think? Uh, so, I guess in your piece with a question mark, we're all wondering. Do you think the hirings that preceded Daryl? Do you think it's possible that like Daryl was like, "I want Dinwiddie. I want Karangwa. I, I want Doc." Or do you think maybe he would prefer to continue working with Mike D'Antoni? It's a great question. I mean, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not in his head, but I do think like, sure, if he had his choice, like he he had a pretty good relationship with Mike D'Antoni, right? If if that was the person he wanted, and I think uh, like there, you heard that some people in Sixers ownership were pretty big fans of Mike D'Antoni, so you know. That might be another one in the column of like, man, this this might have just been this this big spontaneous thing. Which, like, look to be fair, like the Sixers have had stretches where it's like I'm not sure they've had a plan. The difference with this one is they have a lot of really qualified people at the end of it, and if they have actually you know handed the keys to Daryl Morey, the result of this uh, of this whole excursion is better than the ones that than we've seen in the past. Yeah, but like I don't know. Like I don't think Peter Dinwiddie or Prosper Karangwa. <laughs> I mean, they don't have any ties to the Houston organization. They they've worked no, in Orlando and in Indiana. Yeah. yeah. So so my my answer on that's probably no. Probably not, and it gives me this feeling that maybe this whole thing is kind of which Daryl would point out. Daryl, I've heard him talk on podcasts. Like we often overlook the impact of randomness and randomness is huge and and sometimes we make our conclusions based on what to do in basketball based on randomness but i think some of this is probably randomness if you were daryl and you had this offer would you hit up sam and ask like yo can i can i how do you feel about me taking this do you think he hit him up and was like i'm gonna take this gig I mean, just knowing what I know about their relationship, yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. In? I don't know if if they talk in those exact terms. Like, like should I have dated your ex? <laughs> but just like, what are these guys? You know, what's the deal with these guys? But you know, I would be really surprised if they hadn't had that conversation already. Oh, know? I'm sure he already knew the deal with these guys. You know, he just talked on Spike and Mike, and he was like, "It, it was the Guardians at the gate that bit Sam." Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, Sam and, and the rest of people in that front office. And I think like somewhat uh, justifiably, I would say were, I mean, they were, they were pretty disillusioned with kind of the, like the business of the NBA and the, the politics, the, the backroom type type stuff. So wait, wait, who was? 
I would say like the Sam Hinkie front office generally was. Okay, like, like most- Falk and Gupta, and, and they were all they were rookies. Yeah, I would just say like like most of most of those guys. I mean, like for for reasons that we saw, like with like Jerry Colangelo taking over and you know throwing his weight around almost immediately, and then poof, he's gone, and his son is there. Um, and it's like that type of thing. Like I, I don't I don't really think I'm like giving away too much information there, but. So yeah, like, do I think do I think Daryl Morey knows a lot about this ownership group? The answer is almost oh, assur- yeah. almost oh, assuredly yeah. yes, but probably better than any other GM in the league. <laughs> but you you know, I mean, as much as we want to like, you know, pick at their faults, like they are willing to spend money. It seems like in a way that like. Uh, who is an owner who doesn't spend money? Oh yeah. The guy who Daryl Moore used to work for like that guy, like you can't go into the luxury tax. Um, and the guy, the guy that we got Harden from, he didn't want to spend for Harden. Yeah. And, or in he the other, he's out of Kendrick Perkins. Well, no, I'm talking about uh Fertitta that, that uh, I know, I know I was taking it back. Like, you know, the Rockets got Harden and Moore made his name on Harden. He took out like a full page in the newspaper, thanking him for his reputation and then he couldn't spend to keep that team going, and he benefited from Harden because Oklahoma didn't want to pay for Harden. So sure, yeah, and and it, if, I, I forget who I forget who reported this too. I'm, you know, I think Harden was part of this as well, but you know, I, I don't think Tillman Fertitta really wanted to keep Chris Paul, and that was, you know, like probably the worst trade of Daryl Morey's career. But if like I, I forget who had the reporting on this, so I, I I'm sorry, but they, uh, you know, it's been pretty well reported that like Daryl Morey was not in favor of making that move. He would have rather. Yeah, was that, was that Kelly? I can't remember who it was. I was going to ask you this. I have a question. Do you think that, that, cause it almost feels like Daryl's leaving them flat. And he's always said like, Leslie has made my career. And I would, I would go to the ball with Leslie, Leslie Alexander, his former owner. And I wonder, do you think, he was not behind that Russell Westbrook trade. Like what do you think was the ultimate impetus for separating Harden and CP three? I think it was th- those two, not like getting along hard, Harden specifically just being like, ah, this guy is a little intense, you know, that type of thing. Um, you think Harden didn't like it. Yeah. I think that's, that's one. And uh, I know the the other part of it was Tillman Fertitta thought Chris Paul had the worst contract in the league. And to be fair, like Chris Paul did, you know, obviously he makes a ton of money. Did not play quite as well a couple uh, two years ago, no. but uh, but yeah, I mean they made it impossibly worse. So you know, which kind of like it led to their moves this year. Like the last logical thing they could do was, you know, with Westbrook shooting the way he was, he was like, all right, I guess you know he's going to be my center on offense essentially, and uh, and we'll get rid of Clint Capella. And bring in uh, Covington, but yeah, I, I think it was a combination of Fertitta and Harden. I think you just reported that Houston is the only team to wheel and deal more than the, even the process Sixers over the last handful of years. Do you think that Daryl will go that route to build a contender? I, I know he offered like four picks for Jimmy Butler, and and that looks like a steal. You know, Houston picks stink and they got Russell Westbrook for those four picks. Yeah. I mean, he, he loves trading. Yeah. It, since the stat was since his tenure started 13 years ago, the Sixers are the only team that have traded more. I think they had one more trade. And of course, like 
the main reason they have one more trade than them is the two years that, that Sam Hickey was like fully in control. We want to deal in for all those second round picks. So yeah, I don't know what the, uh, what the exact moves are going to be. And to be fair, like if Elton brand was the general manager, uh, this off season, like uh, there were going to be trades regardless. So I don't want to say like now that they have Daryl Morey, like they could finally trade people. But, uh, yeah, I would expect a lot of wheeling and dealing. Like I think John Hollinger had in his piece at the athletic today, like he said that Houston was by far the team that was on the phone the most with them. And he said like, it was, he said it was funny because they were going after the same guys, you know, in the six or seven years that John was helping to run the Grizzlies. He, uh, he said they only made one trade with Houston, but it wasn't for lack of Houston trying. They're the team that, uh, you know, they're the guy in your fantasy league that's that's always offering these ridiculous trades, and maybe and maybe that uh, that rubs people the wrong way. But it only takes one person to say yes, and then uh, and then you've got a steal. So yeah, I'm expecting <laughs> I'm expecting a lot of wheeling and dealing. Uh, do you think? All right, so let's say I hadn't honestly, I had not even considered that Elton would move on until I heard Woj say. He's welcome to stay with that like lilt in his voice. Uh, and then I started imagining like this is the biggest lose-lose for Elton because if he stays and they stink, not even Daryl Morey could fix this team's problems. And I can see it from Morey's view. He's going to look at the books. He's going to look at the cap. And he's going to be like, how did you guys come do this? How did you guys even think to want this? <laughs> and if they win, it's going to be, oh, Daryl Morey fixed it. So, like, no matter what Elton wants, he can't win here. And so if, if I were him, I would seriously consider bowing out. And I don't know if he what his goals are, but yeah, it's got to be tough. Where would he go, though? You know, like, is, is does he have to start over with a, a lower assistant GM position? Like, I mean – it, for, from all indications, like he, he will be considered the number two person. Now, what does that mean? Does, does he actually have the second most input behind the scenes? I don't know. Maybe he does, but uh, it's, it's a tough spot for him. And that's why, yeah, that's why you would lean more towards the, uh, like the spontaneous, like, man, this happened later in the game type of thing. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he does. I, I guess I would just, you know, he would have to ask himself like, all right, if, if I still want to do this and I still want to be an NBA executive and to be fair, like I think he really likes doing it. Like I think he, he likes being on trade calls and he likes scouting players. Like he's, he's certainly taken to it. Um, he, he oozes, he oozes charisma, but you're, you're Daryl Morey, right? And I'm Elton Brand. And you look at the work that I slash me and my colleagues and God knows how many people have done. And now you have to fix this. And you look at the books and you're like, Ooh, oh man, I might have to like deal four picks to fix this. And then you have to go into the media and say like, I'm your one, two punch to quote David Aldridge's tweet today. Like we're a one, two punch. Is it possible that this is awkward between you and I? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't exactly know. I'm sure there, there might be a little bit of awkwardness now. <laughs> I, think, I think like the way these, NBA executives though they work like maybe it's like a little awkward at first, but then they'll just like, they'll just dive in and do the work and they'll just, they'll just try and figure it out. But like, yeah, is the, uh, 
is that sentiment going to be like in people's heads that like, Hey, Daryl's the person who had to clean up the mess that Elton made. And to be fair, like it wasn't the mess that Elton made. It was the mess that the collective uh, group of people, <laughs> the WeWorks. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah. Is, is that a, a tough spot? Yeah, for sure. And I don't, uh, you know, I mean, if we we're just saying that, you know, he's welcome to stay, it sounds like he's, he's considering it at least, you know, his options. Yeah, I, that I took that to mean he might not stay, and I would be shocked. But uh, no longer would I be shocked. All right, thanks so much. Thanks for weighing in. Um, this gives a hell of a twist to the dejected, demoralized, sad pod that we did earlier. <laughs> he brings hope. Um, he brings hope, and it'll be a. Uh... It brings a lot of hope, yeah. Besides hope, too, and I again, I'm not a fan anymore, but uh, what I'm happy about is like the Daryl Morey experience. It's rarely boring. Like He's not going to be boring off the court. So uh, so I'm excited for that. Well, well, who are you a fan of then? I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the, the Sixers like I started, you know, like that type of thing. Uh, That's what got you into it, but now you're a fan of just the Eagles? Yeah, I'm a fan of the other three Philly teams for sure. Well, that's the hot scoop. Yeah. That's the juicy scoop, folks. Rich Hoffman, appreciate it so much. Thanks for all the intel. Thanks for keeping us in the loop. And uh, we'll look forward to reading your next scoop tomorrow or the day after. See you, Dave. Thank you. All right, man.